Come on. Now, I might be all alone, so I might be standing here just ranting, and nobody else, like, agrees with me. Wedding invitations. Okay. Anybody out here ever found wedding invitations confusing? You get the invitation. What's clear is, like, we are getting married at this time at the church or the registry office. Why don't you come? But then afterwards, there may be an additional invite to come to a party afterwards, but you're not quite sure... It's not always clear what is the party that you're being invited to. Because often in the UK, there's two parties. There's one where you come and you eat a, a you know, full meal, yeah? And the other one where it's like a bit of a light lunch afterwards for those that you know, didn't quite make the cut for the first one. Maybe because it could just be money. Uh, it could be that you're just not that, you know, they don't like you that much, uh, but they want you to come anyway. Have you ever got those invitations where you're like, Oh my goodness me, like, I'm not really quite sure what I've been invited to here. Have I been invited to the main party or or not the party? Do I dress up or do I come in casual wares? You know, if I've just been invited to the, you know, the evening party, I'm probably going to go and change my clothes from the wedding and and put something on a bit more casual so we can do the party. Anyway, I'm probably, it sounds like I'm I'm going off on one. But um, in the same way here, Jesus addresses a question about who's invited. Yeah? And a question of who's invited to his party. And it comes in the context of him being another party where he first, before this passage that we've read, he's already spoken to her about the way in which they seat themselves, taking themselves, putting themselves in the order of priority and ranking at parties. And he said, that's not good. You should take the humble position and let the person move you up if they want to. But he's also here uh, uh, addressing. This idea of who can come uh, and who we should be inviting to come to um, the party. So he tells a parable. Parable just is a simple story with a big meaning. Um, We we shouldn't be interpreting everything in this parable as literal. uh, So we have to kind of work out what those things are. But they're significant. They're significant figures and significant things that they say and do that we can apply as principles into our lives. So this idea of parties or meals or feasting is really part of uh, biblical history. Think about Genesis, the first, our first parents, Adam and Eve. They have a meal together that goes a little bit wrong. They take food that they shouldn't eat. We can probably remember from the Exodus, uh, God speaking to his people about having a Passover meal, uh, which we then came to realize was a forerunner of what Jesus would do, that the Passover lamb would be sacrificed in their place and the angel of death would go over them so it wouldn't um, touch them. And in the same way, now, as we've been singing, if anybody thought those words were weird, like nothing but the blood, that's what it's meaning, it's symbolic. Jesus' death, his blood that was spilled, now covers us. Um, So there's the Passover meal. We also know that Jesus ate lots of meals with people. We remember the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. We had the Last Supper meal where they were enjoying the Passover meal, but Jesus again brought that new significance where he says, this is a new agreement that's taking place now. What you're going to see that's going to take place in the next few hours um, is me becoming that Passover lamb. And now this is my body and this is my blood. This isn't the, the, the um, just um, a... Uh, something that we do to remember backwards. And then, who can't remember the, the, the meal that Jesus had when the disciples were all a bit dismayed? They weren't quite sure what was going on, and they decided they were going to go out fishing 
um, on the river and Jesus is there calling them in, tells them to put their nets on the other side, they're bringing in a hall, but he's already there cooking a feast for them. And then in Revelation 19, this idea of this final banquet that will be taking place, this great banquet, and I believe that what is recorded here in Luke is a reference to that final banquet that will take place. And I don't know what your view of heaven is. I know that as a young person, um, I always believed in God, but I really couldn't quite get the relevance of God. Um, so I didn't quite get how I could be saved. I kind of knew there was a God. I knew that he was probably good. Uh, I believed in, in Jesus, but I didn't understand the relevance. And one of the areas where I didn't understand the relevance was heaven. I just thought it's going to be like boring, bland, um, a, a little bit like us all just being super nice, but not really any texture to it. Well, one of the ways in which uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the heaven, uh, time being with him in the, in the future is a party. Uh, this kind of uh, this great banquet, this great celebration that, that keeps on going, where the guests are excited, they're enjoying the richest of food, and they're celebrating together. And the prophets spoke about this. So, so in Isaiah uh, 25, 6 to 9, just talks about the richest of food. It says, sorry, I've, I need to get my slides out. So I can't. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, which means the best wine, the best of meats and the finest of wine. And then he goes on to say, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people and the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. He also talks about wiping away all the tears and removing all the disgrace of people for those who trust in him. So this idea of this party, this fantastic party where God himself is going to be there and he takes away all the pain, he takes away all the suffering and what's left is joy, peace and celebration. Isaiah 55 says a little bit about this. When there's a welcome, come all who are thirsty, Come and drink the water. Those, if you don't have money, you can come. You know, come and buy the, the milk uh, without money and without cost. It's this open invitation. Come, 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 come. And then in Revelation 19, 7 to 9, it talks about um, the, this, this banquet where Jesus and his people are reunited. It says, hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory forever. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given to her to wear. Talks about this being the, the clothes that the church now wear, cleansed and perfect because of what Christ has done. And then the angel said, write this down, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So this is idea of uh, celebration, this idea of, 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 of partying together. And Jesus' kingdom is like a party. That's one of the ways in which we can describe it. It's like a celebration. And it's a celebration of what Christ has done. And it's a celebration that all who believe in him are invited to. So that's a way of like, seeing like, this is the kingdom of God. It's, it's a great thing. Being part of the kingdom of God is a wonderful thing. 
It's a celebratory thing. But the second thing that we see in this um, passage is that even though it's a wonderful thing to be inviting, people turn down the invitation. In verses 16 and 17, if you're following with me, it says a certain man was preparing a banquet and was invited, invited many guests. And after the time of the banquet, he sent out his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everyone is now ready. And then we read after that a number of different excuses. But here, just see here like a double invitation. First of all, you get save the date. Yeah, verse 16. It's a save the date picture. So he told many people, invited many guests, and he told them basically save the date. There's going to be a party coming. Okay, be prepared, be ready for the personal invitation that comes second. Then we get this personal invitation where uh, the, the servant is being sent out and said, look, it's now ready, come. Come now to, to this invitation. And yet, they seem to make what we would say is lame excuses about these things. Now, to us, maybe we're reading them, we think, well, this is fairly reasonable excuses They've just bought some land, they need to go and check it out. They've got some, some oxen, they need to, to make sure the oxen, which would, be, which would have been a, an, you know, a, a particular investment. Imagine it like buying a new tractor. Yeah? <laughs> uh, they'd invested quite a lot of money into this. And the other one is saying, I- I'm getting, you know, I've just got married. Um, and, you, know, you can understand that I can't come. But the readers would have understood these very clearly as excuses that were not really valid. They were kind of lame excuses. Uh, you know, in one way you think, well, why would you buy some land without checking it out first? This idea that I've, got, I've bought some land and now I need to go and check it out, it doesn't really make any sense. You go and check it out, it's a massive investment of your money. Uh, you check it out before. You do all the no- negotiations and then you pay for it. You don't pay for it and then go and check it out. Who does that? Same with the oxen. You know, this is your livelihood is dependent on the investment in, in these animals to, to plow the fields and to, to, to be useful for moving things around. You'd go and check it out first. You don't pay for them and then go and check them out. And even with the, the wedding, which may seem for us, you know, a bit more realistic, they are, you know, they're already married. They've had their celebration and they knew the banquet was coming. It would be very rude in that culture suggest that you couldn't come because you just got married. So Jesus explains, as he's telling this parable, look, people make up sort of all sorts of excuses to not come to my celebration, to not come to my banquet. And I wonder whether, what would be some of the excuses that we might make. Now, some of us here are followers of Jesus, so maybe these are, for, for us, is, you know, we've come to the banquet, as it were, but maybe we're not participating. I'm stretching it a little bit here for us, but I want us to sort of understand, understand this kind of invitation to come and get involved. For other of us, this is an invitation to come and know Jesus and come to the banquet through faith in him. What are the, some of the excuses that, that we might make? In this. And interestingly, again, the, the implication here is that Jesus is making is that it is the religious people, the people that you might assume 
who would be those who might think they are already invited and have already come that just don't want to come to Jesus? What might be some of those excuses for us? Maybe I've started a new job and work's quite busy at the moment. We've just had a new child, so maybe, maybe after we've got that sorted, we'll be able to come uh, to, to, to Jesus. Uh, maybe it's... Um, you know, I've got a few, a few questions um, uh, about um, the church that I haven't really, that I, that, you know, that I can't really find the right answers for. And uh, like I say, some of these things are not necessarily bad reasons, but when you look at them in the light of the invitation to come to Jesus' party, to be, be part of his kingdom, they start to look a little lame. Now, each of us will probably be able to tell what are just genuine questions that we have that we need answered. They're right, that's good. But also, we may find ourselves just procrastinating. Not, we, we understand the call of Jesus, but we just won't come to the party. It seems here in this passage that Jesus is making clear that the people who are turning it down understand the invitation, but they won't just come. And their stumbling block is Jesus. Jesus himself. Because these were Jewish background people who wanted to please God through the rites and the rituals and had a heart for God, but just would not come to believe that Jesus was the Savior. And what he says is, listen, if you're not going to come, then let me tell you, I am going to invite others to come. And this is what we see in verses 21 to 23 of this passage, is Jesus, uh, sorry, the, the, serv- uh, the, the master saying, hey, okay, look, I've got a banquet here, and I want all people to come. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to go out and invite people. So it says this. He said, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys and towns, and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And that's what they do. And they come back and they say, look, we brought them in, but there's still more space. Um, There's still more room. And so the master tells the servant, go out into the roads, in the country, the lanes, compelling them to come in, so that my house may be full. There's two kind of pictures here. For us, the first, and both of these would have upset the people that were listening to this. So the first one are those into the streets and lane, uh, into the streets and lanes, with the cripples, the poor, the blind, and the lame. Now, again, in 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 Judaism, they would have seen that those people who were crippled, poor, blind, and lame, that they had sin in their lives, and that's why they were born that way. Not right, but that's what they would have thought. So when Jesus says go and get them, those people say, well, how can these people come? Because they've got sin in their lives and they, they can't get rid of it. And the answer is, of course, they come like everybody else because of the master's grace they can come. But then it goes even further than that. Those are on the highways and the hedges, which is a reference to those who are outside of Judaism, non-Jews. And in their mind, this was enemies. This is like saying enemies. Those who are enemies of God are allowed 
to come in. And they would have been shocked by this. How can these people come in? Again, because of the grace of God. The Bible says that every single one of us, no matter where we're from, we're once enemies of God. That we didn't know and we didn't acknowledge him. An enemy of God is someone who basically just doesn't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus says, go out to the en- my enemies, those who you would see as my enemies, and tell them that they are invited. Tell them that they are able to come. The outcasts are able to come. The spiritually poor, the spiritually crippled, the spiritually blind, the spiritually lame are all able to come. The invitation to Jesus' part- uh, party is not for one group of people or for good people or for religious people. It's for all people. He says, go out and bring them in. Sometimes when we're reading into parables, um, the idea of who is the servant. Is Jesus the servant and, and, and God the Father the master? Or is he the master and we're the servants? I think both could easily fit here. But there's something here for us to picture ourselves as the servant. The job that Jesus wants us to have is to those who go out into the highways and the byways, to the, those who are the outcasts, to those who wouldn't think that, that, that Christ is for them, and to invite them in and say, Christ is for you. He wants you to come. And the way in which you come is by grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's because of the invite that God has put and given for you. So what does this mean for us as we, as we, as we go? Um, I think this is a call to evangelist. Well, one way we can say this is a call to evangelistic hospitality. Now, I, I think I'd probably call this gospel hospitality. But I, I want to really emphasize that this is not just being nice to people, you know, and, and just sharing some food with them. There's an intentionality that God wants us to have. Why? Because this is what we see here. Go out and invite them to the party. Whose party? Well, it's Jesus' party. It's not their party. It's Jesus' party. And when they come to the banquet, it has this picture of them being rescued and saved. And so we, we are people that need to be, I mean, you could put it this way, party people. We should be celebratory people. We should have time we should spend time inviting people to find out about Jesus by spending time with us. There's an intentionality of this hospitality. Hospitality, just the, the word means welcoming strangers. And we, we see in verses 12 to 14 him say, hey, don't just invite your friends. Yeah? Don't spend, don't spend your time with all your friends and your family, uh, the people that are, that are like you. Um, um, and I think the inference here is, you know, we could apply that to saying, let's not just spend our time with ourselves, you know, our family here. Invite the strangers, the ones who don't know Jesus, the ones who don't know the grace of God, the ones who don't know about the kingdom of God. Use your time, spend your time to invite these people into your lives. Why? Because the kingdom of God or the people of God give a taste of the true community that God has. And so they come in and they experience 
what it's like to be around the table together, to enjoy a hospitality that's based on the grace of God. And also it's like that taste of the grace of God. As we come together, as we celebrate, how we have food together, it reminds us of our need for God. One of the things that, or one of the ways in which I say grace at our house, and it's not every single time, um, is to remind ourselves that, that food tells us that we need something outside of ourselves. I think God made us that way. That we need to be reliant on something outside of ourselves to sustain our physical body. Why? Because it was a picture of our need for him to sustain our inner body. So we receive the food and it sustains us, but we receive Christ and it sustains us. And so when we bring people in and we share food together and we celebrate what God has done in in our hearts and our minds, it's a way of, of expressing this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like us all coming together eating food, sharing food, but knowing the grace of God. So as we go, let me encourage you to to see the kingdom of God like a party and to see the Father's heart in this, that he wants all people. The invitation is open. Come, come, come. All who are willing, come. All who are thirsty, come from the highways and the byways. Come, come the party. Come and know Christ. This is the mission that God has put us on, to be the inviters, the callers, to come and be with God. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom that will know no end, and it's a kingdom that every single person who's willing to call on the name of Jesus can be part of. Thank you that it's a celebratory a place where we will celebrate what you have done, Jesus, for our lives and setting us free and the peace that you would give us uh, because we're united with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us spend our time and our energy inviting those who don't know you to spend time with us, showing the hospitality that Christ has showed us. Father, I pray that you would just draw to mind two, three, four, five people who we know don't know you. And think about how we can invite them in, join in our celebrations, even though they don't yet know you, Jesus, so they might see who you are. Father, we ask you to send us out in your spirit, and your power, um, that we might be bold and courageous. We ask this in your name. Amen.